Now let's talk about knee pain and the potential causes of knee pain. For most people, what will happen is you'll have knee pain and a difficulty in performing certain functional activities such as walking, climbing stairs, or kneeling. You'll go to the medical establishment, an x-ray or MRI will be performed, and typically a meniscal tear or arthritis leading to possibly the diagnosis of bone-on-bone -bone will be created, and you will be suggested to get some sort of surgery, a meniscectomy, unfortunately for so many, an unnecessary knee replacement. Now, the thing that you must understand and will help you to determine whether what you're being told by the medical establishment is valid, which in most cases it's not, and I will present you the evidence of that, is the fact that the knee joint is actually made up of two joints. Most people don't even realize this. The knee joint is actually comprised of two joints. The first joint is the joint between the kneecap and the thigh bone, and the second joint is the joint between the thigh bone and the lower leg bone. Most people end up having pain around the kneecap. That's primarily where they're having their knee pain. So when they get the diagnosis of a meniscal tear or that they're bone on bone, those diagnoses are relating to the joint between the thigh bone and lower leg bone. That has nothing to do with the joint that relates to the kneecap and the thigh bone. So to put it in layperson's talk, pain around the kneecap can never come from the joint between the thigh bone and lower leg bone. If there were symptoms associated with a structure that lies between the thigh bone and lower leg bone, that would have to be experienced at a location known as the joint line, which can be found on either side of the knee joint between the thigh bone and lower leg bone. So let's be absolutely clear. Pain around the kneecap can never be created by a structure found between the thigh bone and lower leg bone. Now if we look at these two, if you want to just address the two diagnoses, when we talk about the meniscal tear, in most cases, the meniscal tear that's being identified is a degenerative tear that has occurred over time and has been there way before you have pain and will be there way after you have pain. And it can't even be associated with pain because the meniscus, that cartilage that lies between the thigh bone and lower leg bone, is actually created from fibrocartilage. Fibrocartilage is the very same tissue that the discs that lie between the vertebrae of the spine. So, if we're talking about fibrocartilage, it turns out fibrocartilage has no pain receptors in there. So, whether it's the meniscus of the knee or the discs of the spine, these tissues cannot elicit pain. It is one of the great fallacies that have been perpetuated when it is simply impossible 
based on the fact that these tissues are fibrocollagen, fibrocollagen simply has no pain receptors in them. To reinforce the point clearer, a study showed that of those people who have a meniscal tear, I'm sorry, of those people that have knee pain, 63% of those people were found to have meniscal tears. Of the group that had no knee pain, 60% were found to have meniscal tears. So what you see is that the number of people who have pain versus the number of people who don't have knee pain roughly have the same percentage of people having meniscal tears. That basically represents the fact that meniscal tears are independent of knee pain. And that's because meniscus has no pain receptors in there. So the group that's actually complaining of knee pain actually has the knee pain coming from another tissue that just happens to be in the knee area. That's what that represents. So if you're diagnosed with a meniscal tear, let's right off the bat just acknowledge that's a meaningless diagnosis because the meniscus, first of all, cannot elicit pain. And secondly, the structural variation that was found is simply degenerative. It's very slow in its progression and the body is healing it and it doesn't require any intervention. It will be there for your life and it won't have any effect on your life. It's simply occurring during to wear, during, due to wear and tear. The bone-on-bone -bone situation can be easily uh, discussed and determined to be valid or not by looking at the range of motion of the knee joint. And the premise of bone-on-bone -bone implies that there's no joint space. And if there's no joint space, that means that the two, jo the two bones that make up the joint would have difficulty in being able to glide, which is where they shift on one another, which is required for the person to actively move the joint. So if the person is to be considered to be bone on bone, then you have to have a situation where there's a major loss of range of motion and at the end point where you cannot move the joint any further, if you try to push the joint, it would feel like a bone is hitting another bone. Literally, the continued range of motion is blocked by the bones hitting one another. That is the only physical presentation that justifies that a joint is bone on bone. An x-ray or MRI cannot possibly identify whether a joint is legitimately bone on bone. I know the orthopedist would love you to believe that, but it's simply a fallacy. It's just meaningless. Because there could be a tenth of an inch, a hundredth of an inch, a thousandth of an inch, some level of joint space still available, and the joint at that point still functions perfectly, but certainly the diagnostic test nor the individual who is evaluating it is in a position to identify whether that level of joint space still exists. But the body can, because it will present whether you are in fact bone on bone. And again, that representation is if there is a major loss of range of motion and at the end point of that loss, it feels like a bone is hitting another bone. So that's how you know if you're bone on bone. If you're not, if you have full range of motion, you would ignore that diagnosis anyway. In terms of the meniscus, 
We've recognized that it's actually made of fibrocollagen, so it can't even elicit pain signals. The fact that a tear is identified on an MRI simply is indicative of a degenerative tear that has occurred over time. It is not eliciting symptoms. The function of the joint has not been inhibited at all. So that's a way of diffusing anything that a orthopedic surgeon might present to you. Now, if we're talking about the kneecap aspect of the joint, the joint between the kneecap and the thigh bone, there's actually three primary muscular causes of pain at that point. And what you want to understand about the kneecap is the fact that its position in the knee joint is controlled by the thigh muscle, the front thigh muscle, the quadriceps muscle. The quadriceps muscle begins at the pelvis, runs through the front of the thigh, then attaches to the kneecap via the quad tendon. The kneecap on the bottom is then attached to the lower leg bone by the patella tendon. So the mechanism is the quadriceps muscle to the quad tendon, to the kneecap, to the patella tendon, to the lower leg bone. So when you are straightening your knee, the quadriceps muscle is attached to the kneecap and the kneecap is attached to the lower leg bone. That's how the mechanism works. The amount of pressure that's applied to the kneecap to determine how much it sits in the groove is going to be based on how much strength or tone is in the front thigh muscle. Now there's a natural tendency for the front thigh muscle to be stronger than the back thigh muscle, which is the hamstring simply because of the fact you do everything in front of you. You stand up, sit down, you walk, you climb stairs, everything's done in front of you. And as a result of that, there is a tendency for the front thigh muscle to be stronger than the back thigh muscle. In a case like this, if that front thigh muscle was stronger, it might have a tendency to shorten and in doing so, it's going to pull up excessively on the kneecap. If it pulls up excessively on the kneecap, then it can cause increased compression of the kneecap so that when you bend your knee the kneecap is compressed more than it should be and that can create irritation a common functional limitation is somebody who says that if they sit for a while and then try to stand up they have writhing knee pain around the kneecap this is because when you're sitting you have bent your knee to 90 degrees that's enough to cause that excessive compression to occur and then suddenly when you try to stand up that kneecap's going to move in the joint and with that excessive compression it's going to be very painful so for the individual who's saying that when they sit for a while and stand up again that actually is a functional representation or a symptom a physical presentation of somebody having their front thigh muscles being stronger than their back thigh muscles. The beautiful thing about it is it's an easy remedy. You stretch the quads, you strengthen the hamstrings and glutes, and that's how you would resolve that situation. If the person had a strained quad, let's say that the quad strained uh, due to you moved awkwardly, something happened where you were unstable, if the quad were to strain, that's the opposite situation. That's where there's not enough tone, enough upward pulling on the front, on the kneecap. In that case, the kneecap would actually start to float out of the knee joint and has a tendency to move to the outside of the knee, causing it to catch on the outer border of the knee joint. Along with the pain, you might hear a clicking sound. Oftentimes when people have pain and clicking 
at the knee joint, that's associated with a strain front thigh muscle, a quadriceps muscle. Beautiful part of this situation is that you typically have to simply stretch the hamstring, strengthen the quad, resolves the pain. Another possibility of having pain around the kneecap that is also muscular is a band, connective tissue band called the iliotibial band, which is located at the side of the thigh. That actually attaches to the outer portion of the kneecap. And if that were to strain and shorten, that can pull the kneecap laterally, also causing it to catch on the outer border of the knee joint and creating that clicking and pain. So what you see is that there is more apt in 95 to 98% of cases for the cause of knee pain to be muscular. You must accept the idea that if there's pain in a joint, in most cases, it's due to the fact that the muscles that are attached to the joint have had some sort of problem due to weakness or imbalance and it's causing a misalignment to the joint surfaces. You must step away from the culturally accepted premise that pain in a joint is associated with some sort of structural variation of the structures that make up the joint. That's simply invalid. It has been proven. The evidence is both scientific based on study, but you could go beyond that and just look at the empirical data and look at the fact that the failure rate for joint replacements is so heavy that now they've gone to the level of revisions. They're having to revise the surgeries and the revision level has skyrocketed and people still are ending up in pain even after they've gotten one, two, three or four revisions. What that has to represent is that the wrong tissue is being treated and that is because in 95 to 98% of cases, the joint pain is actually associated with weakness or imbalance of the muscles that attach to the joint surfaces causing misalignment of the surfaces leading to pain in the joint. If you're having a structural variation, the only real issue to look at to determine that is range of motion. If you're having dysfunction, you can't kneel, you can't go up a flight of stairs, you can't sit for a while, you can't walk, you have to assume, based on the fact that muscles are the tissue associated with function, if there is dysfunction, it's probably indicative of a muscular cause. Now. Muscular causes do not show up on diagnostic tests, nor is there a medical specialty educated to identify these. This is why you must search out and find the YAS method. The YAS method actually interprets the body's presentation of symptoms as well as its physical presentation to identify what tissue is eliciting the symptom. That's the way the body was designed. It was designed to create very specific symptoms that are representative of very specific tissues. That's what the YAS method does. It's the only method that's designed to interpret the body's presentation of symptoms and ignores diagnostic test findings. MRIs can't find muscular causes. There are no medical practitioners in a position to identify these. You need to get the YAS method. So if you want to get more information about the YAS method, you could go to my website at www.mitchellyas.com or you can email me directly at drmitch at mitchellyas.com d-r-m-i-t-c-h at m-i-t-c-h-a-l-l-y-a-s-s dot com or call me on my cell phone 516-449-1359 I feel my responsibility is to reach as many people basically anybody in pain seeking a way to resolve their symptoms and get their functional capacity back 
through the YAS method. That is my responsibility. I was given the gift to create this method and everybody who needs this method to resolve their symptoms should have the opportunity to obtain it, utilize it, and achieve their goals. 126 million Americans suffering from chronic pain, roughly a billion in the world. Everyone has the right to be out of pain. Everyone has the right to get the YAS method. You simply have to reach out, get it, and change your life. For now, this is Dr. Mitchell Yas, wishing you a pain-free, fully functional life. Bye-bye.